0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, let's dive into God's Word. We are in Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse 9 today. If you're new to River Bible Church, I know that was a lot. Thank you for your patience. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back. That's our gift to you. Go ahead and stand up, grab one of those. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 6 here, let me... Let me do a review. We are continuing our study, verse by verse, of Matthew's gospel. We're in chapter six, where Jesus is preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And over the past several weeks, Jesus has taught us how not to pray. Last Sunday, we learned what it means to to call God our Father. And today, we're going to continue to learn really more parameters on how to pray correctly. And the reason that Jesus teaches us how to pray correctly is because we don't know how. We're earthy people. We're not spiritual. Uh, For us to come to the one true living God as a father, as a redeemer, we must be born again. And it's through through this process of, of God the Father, what he does, he draws you to himself God the Holy Spirit reveals God's grace on your life, and then you believe, you believe Jesus Christ, God's Son, is God himself in human flesh, who was sent by the Father to pay our sin debt. And it's only when our sin debt has been paid, really paid for and forgiven by Jesus Christ, to where we now have this amazing privilege to come humbly and boldly into the throne room of Almighty God, and we get to pray. A couple key points from last week. We learned that God is a father only to those who have come to his family through his son, Jesus Christ. God is the creator to everyone else. So what do we say when we come before our father in prayer? What do we say? Well, the, the Lord's Prayer is an answer to that question. Now, we have many, many questions, and, and that's one of, the, one of the many reasons that we, we do pray. And we're learning here that the Lord's Prayer is how prayer, what it does, is it prepares us for the proper use of the answer to that prayer. So, we learned last week, key point, that the Lord's Prayer is a model, it's not a mantra. The Lord's Prayer is a model. It's not a mantra. It's an outline. It's a sketch to where Jesus gets us started. And then what we do as we're praying, we fill in the gaps. The Lord's Prayer, really, you could think of it as a skeleton to where we flesh it out as we pray. And then last week, we, we started with verse 9. Uh, we got as far as our Father. And so... Today, we're going to finish verse 9, and we're going to learn that, number one, God is in heaven, and number two, how God's name is to be honored as holy. So if you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. We're going to start in verse 5 to give us the full context of, of what's going on here. And um, as we lifted our voices to sing uh, praises to God, I'm going to encourage you now to read along with me uh, to read the very word of God. So, starting in verse five. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Your name be honored as holy, your king, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also forgive debtors, and into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, we are to seek you with all of our hearts. Don't let us wander from your commands. So, Lord, we're, we're here today to seek you with all of our hearts. You tell us in other parts of Scripture that if we, if we seek you like silver and gold, like a buried treasure, that you will bless us in ways that we can not understand or fathom. And I love the the psalmist's cry here, don't let me wander from your commands. Lord, keep us on the straight and the narrow. Don't let us uh, us wander too far to the left or to the right. Lord, we we pray that you teach us now through the the spirit of Almighty God that, that you would show us the precious name of the Lord God, and of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Have a seat. Thank you. All right, let's take a look at verse 9. Jesus says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. So that phrase, "there in heaven, what it does is it, it stresses God's transcendence, his greatness, his magnificence. Our Heavenly Father, he, he doesn't live in the confines and the limitations of a decaying body. God is spirit. Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he, he says in John 4, God is spirit, and, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So our, our Heavenly Father isn't limited to the rigor of, of 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's above all of that. He's, he's outside of it. He is independent of time. The psalmist says this in Psalm 90, For in your sight a thousand years, just like yesterday, just passes by, It's just like a few hours of the night. So our Father in heaven is beyond all of these temporary, earthly things in heaven. It's it's also a reminder of where God is and where we are, right? And there's an eternal moral chasm between the two. Separates, there's this big space here that separates us from him. Our father in heaven, it's a reminder that God surpasses all that is human and all that we can see. It's a reminder that we are pilgrims just traveling through. This is not our home. It's certainly not our final destination. About 10 years ago, I, was, I got sent to go to Vienna on a, on a trip that I was, the ministry that I was working for. I've never been to Vienna before and check into my hotel room and, and it, was, it was just, it was a nice hotel just really wasn't my style. I thought, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to tell the, the lady at the lobby area, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to bring some contractors in, and I'm just going to, I'm going to paint the walls, I'm going to freshen up the place, rip the, the carpet out, I'm going to take all this old furniture, and I'm going to move it out, bring some more contemporary stuff in. Now, what do you think she would have said if I went down there and did that? Well, what are you doing? You, you, you can't do that. And I was just wondering, like, she would have said, you know, sir, you're only going to be here for two weeks. What's the point? You're only going to be here for two weeks. And I think, wow, how often do we get caught up in our own homes and in our own stuff, in our own this and that, everything that we can sense and feel and we might go a little bit overboard on some of that stuff. Now, please don't hear me. I'm not saying you, it's not good to have a nice house and a nice car. I'm not saying that. I just don't want you to love it like an idol. Back to verse 9. Jesus says, your name be honored as holy. If you have the ESV, the NRSV or the old King James, it's translated as hollowed. Hallowed Hallowed is a translation of the verb hagiazo. It means to make holy or to sanctify. So that brings us to key point number one. God's people are commanded to be holy, but God is holy. God's people are commanded to be holy, but God is holy. It's a lifelong agonizing and terrifying process. For God's children to be holy. That process is called sanctification. God's word says that we are, when we're born again, we are holy, we are justified, we are sanctified. God has paid our moral, legal debt, all the crimes that we've committed against God because of of Jesus Christ and that blood-stained cross and that empty grave but we're also called to be holy. This, we're to engage in this process of sanctification because being born again, our lives are not the same. We slowly lose the love of the world, and we gain a new love for God. And if you're a part of, the, of last Wednesday's spiritual formation class, we spent a few minutes kind of watching that potter shape that clay on the wheel. All the molding and all the squeezing, all the shaping. It's just really an excellent illustration of this spiritual process called sanctification. When Jesus says, your name be honored as holy, what we're doing there is we are acknowledging the holiness that God has, the holiness that God has always had, and that he will always have. To honor God's name as holy, it's to revere, it's to honor, it's to glorify, it's to love Him, it's to obey Him. Honoring God's name as holy, it, it, it represents all that He is, His character, His plan, His will. So all that to say that, that we, we grow in, in, in holiness, but God is holy. He is perfectly right, He is perfectly just. Now, there are many names for God. We discussed some of those several weeks ago. God is Elohim. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is Jehovah-Jireh. He's the the God who sees. He's the one that provides. He is Adonai. He's the Lord. But when God introduces himself to Moses, God uses a particular name. Let's look at this. Exodus 3.13. Now, I'm going to read this out of the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. It's an update in the past year uh, to the NASB, the NASB. So they've done something really fun here. They've, well, let's just read it. When Moses said to God, or excuse me, then Moses said to God, I'm about to come to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you guys. And they will say, oh, really? Well, what's his name? What shall I say, God? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus, you shall say to the sons of Israel, the I am has sent me to you. Furthermore, God said to Moses, you should say to the sons of Israel, and here we go, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. So if you want to honor God in his fullness, which incorporates God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, dear friends, call him Yahweh. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments for the second time, Remember, he got mad, and he threw him down, and he, he broke him the first time. He says this in Exodus 34. Then Yahweh descended in the cloud, and he stood there with Moses. And God called upon the name of Yahweh. Then Yahweh passed by in front of Moses, and he called out. So this is what, this is what God says about himself. Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the, iniqu- the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and to the fourth generations. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Yahweh himself, he defines what his name means. He is love, kindness, forgiveness, and justice. I love that. And then look what Moses does after God gets done talking. Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. So what's he do? He hits the ground. He hits the ground and he's covered his face. Think about it. The holiness of God, the presence of God, and yet Moses is not consumed. It's amazing. So Moses says in verse 9, he says, If, if now I have found favor in your sight, Lord, I, I pray that you would go along in our midst. Even though, don't you love this? They're a stiff-necked people. Please pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own inheritance. Moses is begging God to go with him. So as clear as all this is from Yahweh, Jesus provides the clearest and the most precise teaching about what God's name means. Because Jesus Christ... Is God's most astonishing name in John 17 6 Jesus says this he says I have revealed your name to the people that you gave me from the world so he's praying to the father and he says Lord I have I have revealed your name to these men and to these women to these disciples why is that important Well, three reasons, many reasons. Here's three. First, because the Pharisees and the scribes didn't. They didn't reveal his name the way it was supposed to be um, taught. Secondly, Jesus reveals God's name in his own character. God's name reveals both Yahweh's works And his words, we just learned that in Exodus 35. And now Jesus, what he does, he continues Yahweh's words and his works, not not only as a spirit, but as a man. Thirdly, Jesus revealed Yahweh's name to prophecy. He's going to tell us the end of the story. I love this. Revelation chapter 14. The apostle John is speaking here. He says this. Then I looked and there was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him were a hundred and forty four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now that sounds odd to us. Having God's name written on someone's forehead. What that means, it means that that person is God's. So dear friends, that's a very, very good thing when Jesus comes back. Revelation 19:11. The apostle John continues here. He says, "Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its its rider was called faithful and true, and with justice he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. And look at this. He had a name written that no one knows but himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven, they they followed him on white horses wearing pure and white linen. Look at this. A sharp sword came from Jesus' mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. Verse 16, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. And what's the name? King of kings. Lord of lords. So if you don't have Jesus' name on your forehead, dear friends, you're going to have some serious problems when he returns. See, the first time Jesus came, he was a shepherd, he was a Messiah, he was a Savior, who, who preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And for those who don't repent, they will see Jesus not as the world sees him today, as this sissified Savior for weak people. That's not how they're going to see him. They're going to see Jesus for who he really is, and that is God in human flesh. I mean, the text shows us, right? Jesus is coming back, praise God, but he's coming back with eyes of fire, a sword in his mouth, his robe is dipped in blood, and he's all tatted up. (laughs) Holy smokes. Wow. Guys, there is an end to God's graciousness, his grace, his patience. And that's why there is such an urgency and there's such a responsibility for us to, fill, to fulfill our vision for the Verde Valley, and that is to share Jesus day by day. But for those of us who will have Jesus' name on our foreheads, not because we're special, but because we believe we have been born again, let's turn to the very last chapter of Revelation. Let's see how the story ends. Revelation 22, the Apostle John writes this, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the the throne room of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the, the city's main street. And the tree of life was on each side of the river. It was bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. Look at this in verse 4. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Dear friends, someday very soon, we will all see Jesus Christ face to face. Verse 5 says, night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will give them the light and they will reign forever and ever. So we read this, all these scriptures about God's name. And yet we live in a culture that takes great pleasure in profaning God's name. I mean, it's it's nearly impossible to watch a movie, PG-13 movie. Uh, doesn't uh, have an actor take the Lord's name in vain? How many Christians uh, say, oh my God? How many of us do that? Dear friends, we we don't want to do that. We've got to break that habit today. And we need to repent of the casualness in which we take God's holy and his precious name. When we profane the name of God, we We reveal something about ourselves, our hearts. Jesus says in Luke 6, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. And here we go. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So how many times have we, as blood-bought, born-again Christians, right? Just busted out something profane, something racist, something derogatory, something so offensive, and we know it's offensive, and yet it just keeps coming out. We're immediately embarrassed and ashamed, and we have to apologize to everybody around us. We have to apologize about the the way that we talk, uh, the tone in which we speak, this, the, the Lord's Prayer, it really addresses the casualness in the way that we talk about God overall. I mean, how many of you within your, your personal testimony know, you just know that one of the first things that God did when he saved your sorry, wretched soul was clean out your filthy mouth. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And how many of you can remember the, the supernatural shockwave that, that went through your body after you believed and were born again? And you took that name, Jesus Christ, in vain after you were saved. You, you remember that moment? I do. I do. A shockwave went through down, just down my spine. And I think that was God's way, that jolt of saying, you don't do that anymore don't do that why psalm 20 verse 7 some take pride in chariots others take pride in their horses in other words earthly earthy people take pride in everything that they can see everything that they can feel but we take pride in the name we take pride in the character of the lord our god So the most comprehensive name of the Lord our God is Jesus Christ. I mean, have you ever wondered why the world chooses to profane only one name when they speak? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, when was the last time you heard somebody get mad and profane Muhammad? How many times do you see people getting mad and cursing Zoroaster? We bang our finger and we go, Joseph Smith. It's insane to even think about it. Why don't people take the name of John the Baptizer in vain? Why not the Dalai Lama? I mean, it really is absurd to think about this. But why only Jesus Christ? Y'all with me on this? Here's why. And this is so cool. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2:5. He says this: Adopt the same attitude as that of who? There's the name. Christ Jesus. The name and the character of God. Who, existing in the form of God, so that's that's Jesus with skin, I'm sorry, Jesus is God with skin. He does not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. So pause, Jesus never demanded to be treated as a king, even though he is the king of all kings. Verse 7 continues, taking on the likeness of humanity when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, for this reason. What reason is that? Verse 8, the humility and the sacrifice of Jesus. It's for this reason that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Not only that, look at verse 11. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, there's the name, is Lord. All to the glory of God the Father. So all of that brings us to key point number two. The name of Jesus Christ is taken in vain because it is the only name that can save. The name of Jesus Christ is taken in vain because it's the only one that can save. Did Mary and Joseph choose the name of Jesus did they do like many of us do, and they read through the Old Testament and they write down all the cool names, and then they decide on what they're going to name their, their boy or their dog. <laughs> we have a dog named Esther. There's nothing wrong with that You tell them, babe, you get him. Joshua, Noah, David, Jonah. Did did they do that? Did Mary and Joseph do that? Of course not. We know that because in in Matthew 1.18, Matt writes this. He says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother married. I'm sorry. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together. uh Uh-oh. Uh, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and here we go. You are to name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save people from their sins. The Gospel of Luke, this is Mary's account of that. The angel says, now listen, you will conceive and give a birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He's going to be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So that brings us to key point number three. God gives his people names for a purpose. God gives his people names for a purpose. When God changed a person's name, it was usually to establish a new identity within that person. So for example, in the Old Testament, God changed Abraham, or Abram to Abraham. He changed Sarai to Sarah. Abram means "high Father." Abraham means "father of multitudes." God tells Abraham in Genesis 17:5. He says, "Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham." For I will make you the father of many nations. At the same time, God changed Abraham's wife uh, from Sarai, which means my princess, to Sarah, meaning the mother of nations. Genesis 17, 15. God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I'm going to bless her. He says that twice. And she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Jesus did the same thing with Simon Peter. Simon means God has heard. Peter means rock. But, and all that to say this, God the Father didn't change God the Son's name. He decreed it. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Jesus' name, it's a combination of Yah, which is an abbreviation for Yahweh, and the verb Yasha. It means to rescue or deliver or save. So we've got Yahweh, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, they all come from the same root name. And guys, that's why there is power in Jesus' name. It comes from Yahweh. The apostles, they were able to heal in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they were going up to the temple for the time of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth, he was being carried there. And he was placed by uh, he was placed each day at the temple gate. The temple gate was called beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, he, he looked straight at him and he said, look at us. So the man turned to them and he was expecting to get something from them. And Pete, Pete says this, I don't have silver. I don't have any gold. But what I do have, oh, this is so good. What I do have, I'm going to give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once he he was on his feet. His ankles became strong. So what's this guy start doing? He starts jumping up, jumping down. He's starting to walk. He entered the temple with them. And I love this. He's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they recognized who it was. Hey, wait, this is the guy who was sitting and begging at the beautiful gate at the temple. So everybody's freaked out. The text says they were filled with awe astonishment at what happened to him. And while he was holding on to Peter and John, he's not letting them go. Don't you love that? I'm not letting you go. So good. I get so excited I lost my place. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished, they ran towards them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. He said, fellow Israelites, we would say, brothers and sisters, why are you guys amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power, by our own godliness? We didn't do this. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, here we go, has glorified the servant Jesus. There's the name. Oh, by the way, whom you handed over, you denied him before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy, the righteous one. You asked to have a murderer released to you. Y'all remember that? You killed the source of life. Whom God raised from the dead, we are all witnesses to this. And then verse 16, by faith in his name. His name has made this this man strong. And by the way, you know this man. This is not some gimmick. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him the perfect health in front of all of you. So we know that Jesus' name heals. Jesus' name also forgives. Look at Acts 10.43. All the prophets testify about him through his name. Everyone who believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. So when someone comes to faith, what's the next thing that we do? We baptize in the name of Jesus, don't we? Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. As Christians, we are to pray in Jesus' name. John 14, 13. Jesus says, whenever you ask in my name, whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. Why? So that the Father may be glorified through the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'm going to do it. So that's Jesus' first name. What about his last Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's his title. The Greek is uh, Christos, means chosen one, anointed one. Christ means Messiah. So Christ refers to Jesus' office as the Messiah. So the name of Jesus Christ, what it does is it proclaims his purpose as a man and his office as the Messiah. So look at this. Jesus means God saves. Christ means anointed one. And when you put them together, Jesus Christ means God saves through his anointed one. I don't know about y'all, but I think that's pretty cool. God saves through his anointed one. All right, so let me bring this back around full circle here. Verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. God's name, Yahweh, Yeshua, Jesus, all those are variations of God's holy name. And although there may be very uh, different variations in God's name, please know that there are no variations within God Himself. God never changes. He is always loving, he is always kind, he is always patient, and he is always just. We know that because God said that back in in Exodus. The book of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, meaning God saves through his anointed one. He is holy. So my encouragement to you this week is really to spend this part, this, this time in prayer, going through the, the Lord's Prayer this week and, and to pray it out loud, to pray it when no one else is around, to, to learn how to honor and revere God's name like never before. Um, it's a time to repent of your sin, It's a, it's a it, well, for, for taking the Lord's name in vain it's also a time to repent for the casualness in which you speak about God and then as you pray this out as you write in your Bible as you highlight stuff or maybe you have a journal as you pray this out just wait and just listen and and see how the Lord leads you and guides you and he will do that in amazing ways Please pray with me. Our Father, you are a good, good Father. We, we have no concept of how good you are. You tell us that you are holy, that you're different, and we, 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 we know that you are. We know that you are so different than us, and. And we just want to thank you for allowing us to call you our Father, not just Creator, but your our daddy, your Papa, our Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord God, that you're sovereign, that you've created the the entire cosmos out of nothing. There's nothing that you don't see. There's nothing that you don't know about. That you're in heaven. And what a beautiful reminder that we are here on the earth. And the, and the distance between the two. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Thank you for teaching us about your name, Lord God. Thank you for... The, the different titles and, and variations of your name because you are who you are. You are the great I am. Many, many times we want to put you in a box and please forgive us for that, Lord God. But, but show us how to, to walk alongside of you. Teach us these amazing truths that come out of your word so that we can experience you at a much deeper level this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.